Hey, one more thing before you go. Do you want to know what it's like to live and work in a foreign country? Does it inhibit you being creative? We're going to answer these questions and more when we talk to a person doing just that. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is That Thing About an American Writer in Korea. My guest today is Todd Sullivan. He teaches English as a second language, teaches English literature writing while living in Asia. He's a writer with numerous short stories, books published in several different countries under his belt. He's a graduate from Queens College with a Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing and holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in English from Georgia State University. Welcome to the show, Todd. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so my name is Todd Sullivan. I am here in Taipei, Taiwan. I've been here for about, actually I've been here for a year now. It went really fast. I came here October 2019, and it's amazing because you had, I had an idea of what being in Taiwan would be like, but then like in January, COVID happened, and so that idea just completely changed. But before here, I was in South Korea for 10 years. Uh, and that's where uh, I came from South Korea to Taiwan. Before that, I was in New York for three years. Before that, Atlanta, actually, for 10 years. And then I'm actually originally from New Orleans, Louisiana. That's a kind of a diverse background in regard to all of that. What made you want to go overseas, especially in the Asia, in the Asia area? Uh, I think... The idea came from when I was doing my MFA in Queens College. Uh, I did a winter semester in Tokyo for about three weeks. And uh, when I was in Tokyo, I really just loved it. Like, I, I love Japan. I love Tokyo. So I was there for three weeks. And I knew I wanted to come back to this part of the world after my MFA. Uh, and actually, I tried for Japan. But Japan doesn't really hire a lot of English teachers. They're not really all that big on having... Uh, like importing a lot of culture, actually. So there's not really a lot of opportunity to get English teaching jobs. They exist, but there's not a lot of opportunity. But 11 years ago, Korea was hiring a lot of English teachers. So uh, there were all these recruiters who were funneling people into Korea. And I was just one of the people who got funneled into Korea. So that's basically why I ended up in Korea. Do you speak the language? I do. I, I'm, I'm functional in Korean. I actually, I lived there for 10 years. I studied Korean language for three years at uh, universities there. And so I am functional, you know, like everything else. I haven't been there in a year. And so if you don't use it, you tend to lose it. And, and my Korean ability has dropped off. I was actually getting, like the big thing for me was listening in Korean. They have a lot of syllables in their words, whereas in English, we tend to have like one or two syllables, sometimes three, but three is like a big word for us for syllables. In Korean, like one of the words will have like five syllables. And so when you have a sentence with like, you know, 20, 25 syllables, it's really hard to distinguish. But anyway, I'm functional. <laughs> that, that, this works. I can relate almost to that point. I grew up in an environment where my uh, sister married a guy from Rome, Italy, and he, he spoke very little English when he moved here. So all of his friends moved here as well. So we all kind of lived in the same apartment complex, like a little Italy, so to speak. Right. And um, I learned Italian. My first job was actually in an Italian restaurant run by actual Italians. So I got to learn Italian, and I spoke it really well, actually. And um, I helped others there learn English because they just wanted to learn from talking. 
Um, so it was really kind of interesting. But if you ask me now, because it's been so long, I remember about, I don't know, 10 words. <laughs> so, right, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. What made you want to be a writer? You know, I don't think it's anything that made me. I just started when I was very young. Uh, I didn't really talk very much as a child when I was quite young, uh, like elementary school, probably first, second grade. And, you know, I think probably a lot of people uh, pick up a pencil and just write a little bit. But then as you get older, people have different interests. And then, you know, their interest in any type of writing kind of falls down. But then some people don't. Some people pick up a pencil, start writing as a child, and just keep writing. So I don't think it was any kind of, I don't think anything actually, it was just like an inclination probably that I had from a very young age. Born with it? You just always wanted to be a writer? I, I think I, well, you know, when I was younger, like when I was in elementary school, I wanted to be like um, like a doctor at a certain point. Because like one day I was listening to my mother's heart and someone says, oh, you want to be a doctor? Because, you know, that's what people kind of imagine. Like this type of soap. So I want to be a doctor. I want to be a priest at a certain point. I want to be a police. Uh, you know, I wanted to be different things growing up. Uh, but I suppose Ryer kind of lasted, outlasted all those other things as I age. And so that's where I'm at right now. So when you went to school and university, what was your, uh, your curriculum? Oh, when I went to school and university, I have a bachelor's of arts in English with concentrations in creative writing. And then I have a master's of fine arts in creative writing. So that's actually... Um, my my bachelor's and master's. What kind of books you write? So the ones that I publish are, I have a vampire series of extreme horror, which is published, and there's two books. And I have uh, The Windshine Chronicles, which is fantasy, and that's uh, two books. And the third one should be coming out in March. And I'm currently writing a, a screenplay, which is a uh, web series that's being done here in Taipei. So, like, it's, it's kind of a variety of things, but I guess it's uh, horror, fantasy, and then it's a superhero screenplay, and that's a genre now of itself. So, superhero genre are the three things I'm currently writing. What got you interested in writing horror? Uh, again, I, I still think that it's kind of uh, just because I wrote many different things, but maybe I, I, tried, I started doing horror because in New Orleans, there are maybe somewhat darker elements to New Orleans. There's a lot of, uh, you know, we're constantly reminding of death in New Orleans because you don't, you can't really, we're below sea level, so you can't go lower than six feet. And so our graves are built above ground, which they call it, above ground graves. And so when you're driving around New Orleans, uh, you see all these very, uh, they're beautiful, but they're also very gothic uh, tombstones and, uh, you know, these really nice uh, grave sites. They're very big and extensive in New Orleans. And that, you know, that can help but influence what you think. Um, and then also when I was younger, uh, we are probably around the same age. But anyway, there weren't as many channels back in the day. And on Saturday, there would be uh, the horror creature feature, uh, which we were watching my family at a very young age. My oldest sister was into uh, horror books. Like, uh, there were a lot of Stephen King on my bookshelf. And so I had it on my bookshelf, too. And these are the kind of things that I think just probably influenced me maybe more into horror than other things. But I do write across genres. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you do, uh, obviously, horror, I know, could probably, um, horror and fantasy, I guess, would kind of overlap each other at certain points, don't you think? They do. I mean, uh, they, they're very similar because there are fantasy elements in horror, there may not be as many horror elements in fantasy, but there are definitely fantasy elements in horror. 
Yeah, I um, my wife, my wife and I don't watch too many horror films. Occasionally, we'll watch one, but for the most part, we don't really. You know, we kind of don't really kind of watch those. But um, I find it interesting in in understanding how somebody comes up with comes up with that. I mean, look at Stephen King. I can't even imagine everything that's going through the mind of Stephen King when you read his books or you see the movies that he's accomplished. So where do you come up with your characters? Uh, well, you know, the funny thing, I actually don't watch many horror movies either now. Uh, I, I tend not to watch horror. I, I have a very strong imagination. I don't like those images being stuck in my head. So I'm not really a big horror uh, movie fan or horror book reader. But where do I come up with it? I think it's just from everyday things. Like I, I did learn in academia how to write, and that's literary writing. And literary writing tends to take things more directly from real life. And so I just kind of um, look around because the Vampire Saves Extreme Horror is actually about having a very bad job. Like that's actually the, 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 the point of the book. Like these vampires have bad, bad jobs and they can't escape them. They're stuck there for eternity because they're vampires. And so I just look around at different things that actually happen and then uh, find, I guess, the horror angle of it. And that's where the ideas come from. What do you think attracts people to to that genre? I mean, is, is it something inherent in somebody? Do they always want to be scared? or? Well, once upon a time, horror was used as warnings. It was a way to, because you could try to explain something to someone and it could go in one area out the other. But if you scare them, there's a much better chance that they're listening. So like, you know, it was just things that horror was as a as a way to scare people, kind of scare people straight, I guess, scare people not to do certain things. There were like lessons in horror itself. Uh, but I think now, you know, there's a thrill to it. Uh, you know, it's a way to, you know, a lot of horror is actually facing the unknown. That's actually a large component of horror. You don't know what it really is. And so you are entering into this sphere in which you are having to, you know, uh, it's like the darkness there, and then you have to go there and figure out what it is, and stand up to it, and don't become afraid. But yeah, I mean, it's like a thrill to it. Uh, I think there's a lot of things. It's thrilling. Uh, it challenges you. Um, for people who are maybe kind of bored, it sees their imagination with images that are a bit dark and twisted, and things like that. So I think that's probably the appeal of it. Now, do you write? Do you write a, a novella, a novel, or like a graphic novel? The books that I publish are novellas, even though the third book in each series will be novels. So the first two in each series were novellas, which is about 30,000 words or about maybe 110, 120 pages. But these other books, the ones I'm writing now are 60,000 plus words, which is like the novel territory. And that's more closer to 200, 250 pages. They're kind of dwarf novels, but they still are novels, considered novels. So, yeah, I mean, now I probably won't write any more novellas. Like, everything I write now will probably be novels. It takes a lot longer to do, but everything I write now will be novels. What's the difference? Help us to understand what the difference is between a novella and a novel, other than the word count. Well, the word count is really the big one, but uh, besides the word count, it's plot. So, novellas, they tend to have a single plot without any subplots. And so, with very few or no subplots. And so, it's just... The character wants something, and the character accomplishes something, and that's basically it. So you could cover that in a lot fewer pages. Also, it's a smaller character count. So in the novella, you're not going to have a cast of characters as if, as in like a Game of Thrones or something like that. So in the novella, you might have, you know, maybe four to 
seven characters, four to eight characters. It's very small characters, so you don't have to cover as much territory with them. But as a novel, I have a dozen characters, you know, a lot more characters, a lot more sub-characters and things like that. Uh, and novellas, uh, the characters, maybe one character would be really multidimensional, but then the other ones would be more one, two-dimensional. Whereas in novels, you have a lot more time to play around with characters. So you have more multidimensional characters in novels. Uh, and all these things make novels much, much bigger. Whereas the things that limit, uh, that, that you use to limit yourself and novellas make them much smaller, actually. So novellas, if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but novellas, do they have a like an act one, act two, act three type structure? Or, or do they have like a, a, the antagonist trying to reach a goal at the end? Or do they continue? Well, it depends. If you write a literary novella, it's going to be different from writing a fantasy novella. Uh, but like a genre novella is going to be different from writing a literary novella. So it just kind of depends. But in the novellas that mostly in genre is just probably uh, one protagonist, one antagonist, and then more or less one goal. And the protagonist is just kind of going across to this one goal, like from A to B, and then that's basically it. They get to B, and it's basically over. So there's no real, there's no real subplots or like all these side roles that they are that they're taking. It's just like A to B. They get the, they meet the antagonist, and then it's done. That's how a genre novella is probably going to go. How did you develop your characters for the, your your horror novel, The Vampires? Yeah, and it, it comes from real life because I, I I study literary writing. So all of my characters are basically built upon people that I've met just about. And so that's really the, my first level, my first foundation. Well, I'm probably the first foundation of my writing. Then after that, it's people that I meet. That's like the second foundation, second level. And then after that, I build um, like I build ideas from their these people and make them, you know, make them into something that I can use. I guess they're my source material, I suppose. Now I got to ask you this because you, your book's about vampires, one of them. So. That doesn't mean you know any real vampires, right? <laughs> no, but you know, vampires tend to be, uh, traditionally, they are uh, egotistical, conceited, selfish. Um, they're tragic figures. And I know people like that. <laughs> I mean, that that's works. not very hard to uh, <laughs> find. So, yeah, I guess in that sense. Maybe vamp eagle vampires, I suppose. Eagle vampires. Uh, there you go. Psychic, yeah. psychic vampires, maybe. That works. This worked. So you, what made you go into fantasy? What was your motivation? Uh, it's kind of the same idea. So when I was younger, I was, my brothers, like my sister read horror. My brothers did uh, Dungeons and Dragons, D&D. And so those books were also on my bookshelf. And then they were really into comic books. So they used to have like X-Men and Avengers, like the, the actual traditional, original comic books that we had in our house. And then when I was in high school, I got really big into Dragonlance. I don't know if your audience are familiar with that. But that's also a very long, uh, very long fantasy uh, series. And so it's just, you know, from younger, A, outside influence from like my older brothers, because I'm the fifth, so they are older than I am. And then also just on a personal level, I think this was just something that appealed to me, fantasy appealed to me. Now, if, if fan, tell me about your fantasy books. Let's go a little more in depth maybe with um, with those. How did, like your... your um your characters and, and kind of your plots and how they how they implement themselves within within the storyline. So the fantasy books are about people who are going on quests 
these young men going on a quest to hopefully one day become heroes. They, they'll be named a hero in this, in this uh, fantasy world they exist in. And again, that's just taken from real life. So it's just people who uh, who are trying to achieve these very big things in life. Uh, and if they can, like, you know, many people start at a very young age. And as they go along, like people kind of fall off. They, they can't really accomplish it. But then uh, the very tiny few who repeatedly succeed at their quest, they're the ones who become heroes. And that's basically where the fantasy idea comes from. So people are going on quests to achieve these massive things. And mostly it's the failures that I kind of write about because I think most people don't actually succeed on their quests. And so that's basically uh, the focus of many of the books. Is your fantasy, is it, is it set in present time or, or um, past? Uh, no, it's Middle Age Korea. It's based on Middle Age Korea, basically. Because I wrote them, I wrote the stuff that's published was all published in Korea. So the, the vampire novels take place in Seoul, mostly. And then the fantasy novels take place in like a Middle Age style Korea. From that area? Did you do a lot of research in order to. to I mean, I know you lived there for, for quite some time, obviously, but did you have to do a lot of research to kind of get it? To get it right, yeah, you know, it's a combination it, you know, of both. Like I was there for ten years, and during those ten years, you know, you end up going to a lot of the cultural sites, and then you know, you end up talking to different people about the how Korea came to be the way it is, and things like that. But still, like there are specific plot points that you have to do additional research for because you may not have covered that or remember it from your travels throughout the country. And so for that, I did look it up to see how it would been. Even though, like, you know, I went to actual villages that are two, three hundred years old in Korea that people still live in. It's kind of like a, like a, like tourists go there, <laughs> a tourist attraction. But anyway, so I actually saw how the houses, how the homes in Korea looked like 300 years ago and then how people would live there 300 years ago, 400 years ago. Uh, and so there's that. But there's like more specific things that I did look up in order to see specifically uh, what they would do during this time. Oh, that's amazing. That must have been that must have been um very unique to be able to be in there in that place and time to kind of experience it. It was. It, you know, it was very interesting cultural experiences. It's it was very interesting. Yeah, it was. It was quite amazing. Yeah, history is always fascinating, both my wife and I. Um, when whenever we visited some place that especially that that has when I went to London, for example, and being able to stand in an area or next to a building or touch a building that had been around for hundreds of years. Just it, it, magnificent, actually, because you stop and think of how long they're still standing and nothing like the architecture today. You know, it, it, it just uh, kind of kind of was amazing, actually. Um, but yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting, interesting way of uh, piecing that together and intertwining it. So your your fantasy line in that line. Um, tell me about the books. Like, give me some give me some in depth. Uh, well, Holloman starts off with the main character Hajun, uh, and his father uh, tells him that he has to go on a quest. Now, the whole thing with the Hajun and his father is that his father actually, in order to make him. You know, it's like kind of like a traditional story of the parent who uh, extremely rigorous upon their child in order to have them achieve this extremely difficult thing. And now we see 
you know, years later, the, the child, once they're successful, might complain a lot about their parents or complain a lot about their coach. Sometimes the coach who was really tough on them to get them to a point. But then afterwards, it's like, wow, they're like, it was very kind of an abusive relationship. Uh, and so it's kind of the same thing. So Hajun's father, uh, Hajun's come up with all these scars because his father's really tough on him growing up. Uh, but then he, so uh, Hajun's father has him go on this, uh, start this quest. And he meets up with these three other young men and they travel from this island uh, in Korea called Jeju to the mainland, which is where the quest actually is. And the quest is to, oh yeah, it's to, it's to destroy this, you know, just kind of the unknown monster that's kind of out there. That's, that's basically the quest. You draw, destroy the unknown monster. And so they have to travel uh, along this way. And within the group, there are these, um, these foreigners because I was a foreigner in Korea. And so that's kind of like, I suppose, where my aspect of it comes in, who travels along this group of young men. And the foreigners are actually not human and they live a very long time. So like this foreigner is like a thousand years old. And they record the adventures of the young men and the failures of the young men who go on these quests. And so that's basically the idea is these young men go on this quest and this foreigner who's recording their adventures. And that's actually Winshine. Winshine is actually the, the chronicler or the person who records the adventures. It was pretty awesome. And I, I mean, this book, did you, well, I mean, obviously you depicted your characters out of the Asian culture. Any particular reason why, other than living there, that inspired you to use the Asian culture? Uh, no, just because I lived here. I mean, it's the same thing in Taiwan. I'm writing about Taiwan now. When I lived in New York, I wrote about New York. When I lived in Atlanta, I wrote about Atlanta. I basically write about where I'm at. So that's actually the reason why. It's just, but if I was living in Laos, I would have written about Laos. It's just where I was at. So that's where I wrote yeah. about. Works that way. I've always had a fascination with the Asian culture. And um, if you, I can't turn my computer around to show you my office, but I've got, uh, I've got things from China and things from, uh, Japan, and uh, my brother brought me some stuff back from Taiwan. Um, I've been always fascinated with the aspects of the meditation, and the I studied a little bit of Buddhism and a little bit of Zen. Um, I practice it, actually, because I enjoy it. I studied martial arts, and in the process of that, I developed a lot of philosophies from the Asian culture, so I, very, I respect it very much. I'm actually really into martial arts, too. When I was in Korea, I did kendo for nine years. And before then, I did uh, Muay Thai and Caparella and JKD. So, yeah, I'm really a big uh, a big fan of uh, martial arts and people who do martial arts. If you want to one-stop everything for one more thing before you go, visit BeforeYouGoPodcast.com, where you can find each and every episode of One More Thing Before You Go, links to your favorite listening platforms, subscribe and review option, and as a special bonus, by visiting BeforeYouGoPodcast.com, you can purchase any book from our shows, access expanded show notes and guest bios. And if you're a podcaster or just getting started, BeforeYouGoPodcast.com can make your life easier with highly recommended podcast equipment and resources for editing and publishing. It'll make your life easier as a podcaster. BeforeYouGoPodcast.com as it's a perfect resource for everything you need to listen, learn, and grow your own podcast. How did, how's COVID kind of affected you there? And I'm sure it helped you to, to give you time to write or to... Did it shut you guys down as well as much as it did here in the United States? No, it didn't really. Uh, like COVID, we started hearing about COVID here in Taiwan around, uh, I think it was January. 
around the end of January. It was like around the Lunar New Year of that year. Uh, because, you know, many, there's a lot of people going back and forth to China. And I think people, because of that, got a whiff of it that was happening in China probably January, maybe even December, December, January. And then as soon as they got a whiff of it, they started um, closing things down and, you know, everyone's wearing masks and sanitizing things a lot. And so they kind of kept it really under control. Um, it's like early, very early before the rest of the world uh, really kind of knew what was like coming. So it, it never really got very, uh, it never really got out of control here. Let's put it that way. It never got out of control. So it's like something that's a constant thing. Like people are still wearing masks. They sanitize the public spaces. Uh, you know, they try to limit, uh, limit certain activities, but it never really got as, as kind of intense as it got actually in the Western world and other countries. That's a positive thing. That's a positive thing. Right, yeah, um, it is. Did it inspire you? Anything come out of that that inspired you to write more? No, actually, I'm tired of hearing about COVID. I, I probably wouldn't uh, <laughs> write about COVID. Uh, I mean, you know, this web series takes place here in Taiwan, and if a COVID angle comes into it, because it's, you know, it's actual actors and it's actual uh, in real time, and so there's, there's certain limitations that happen as a result of the fact that you know, we actually are filming in real life, but that's it. Like I personally would try, would probably not write about it right now because there's so many people, there's so much information, so many people writing about it. I don't know if I actually personally would. Well, let's talk about your uh, your web series. I mean, uh, part of my background after I left the police department, I uh, was a director for independent film and uh, screenwriter and I uh, did five international screenwriting conferences, two international film festivals. And my passion for the longest time was the film and TV entertainment industry. So I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about your uh, web series, if you'd like to talk about it. I can see why. It's actually extremely exciting. It's extremely fun to see something you write uh, being... uh, made into like a real life thing and seeing how the director and the actors kind of, uh, kind of take it because like the foundation are, is basically, are basically the words. And so it is very exciting to, to see, but you know, it came from my idea. Uh, it's just someone who got in contact with me online and he had this African idea of using African, uh, ideology, religion, and, uh, like mythos in order to make a web series at here in Taiwan, because he's been living here for several years and he's married to someone here and he has two kids here. So he wanted to have that angle to it. And I was like, okay. So I, I wanted to see if I could do with it. And I started writing, uh, I wrote first as a fictional piece. Uh, and that was the first form of it. And then from that, I wrote a screenplay from that. And we have a complete season written. And we have season two halfway written. But because this uh, is so in flux about how this works, that I actually haven't really finished writing season two. I want to see what characters are the most exciting because I'm used to workshopping. I'm used to getting audience like a real, uh, real opinion and then basically changing it from there. And so I just want to see from the web series, what characters are actually uh, most enjoyed. And then probably in season two, those are the ones I'll probably focus upon more actually than the ones who will least enjoy. But yeah, it's been a really, a really, fun fun experience actually i'm really enjoying it now did you i mean obviously he asked you to write the screenplay so the screenplay 
was from his concept or your concept or a combination of both? It was a combination of both because the, the African elements are really important uh, to it. So that was the, 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 the I guess the first level uh, was the African concepts. And then from there, I wrote the, the narratives and the characters and things like that uh, based upon those things. And so it was, it's a combination of both. Like, I guess they are just kind of, yeah, a combination of both. Now, is it the web series, did you get, did you take any part in um, the, the directing or the casting or anything like that as the process went along? No, I didn't. I, I basically just wrote it. And then he's the one who, because he's been here for many years. And actually, I didn't know this when I, I didn't really know much about Taiwan, but they actually have a budding film industry. Like, yeah, you know I mean, it's not like South Korea. Like, South Korea has a massive film industry. They're, you know, their dramas and movies are now known around the world. But Taiwan actually has a budding one. So there's actually a lot of actors here. And there's a lot of um, uh, people who are interested in film. They're trying to really develop themselves uh, and make it like bigger. So there's a lot of opportunity here. And he's already plugged into the scene. So he's the one who found uh, the actors and the video editor and things like that. Like that's, that's his side of it. Are you on set when they shoot? No, uh, because, you know, the, the first episode, it's like a, it's actually a short episode. Like we're doing web series, so they're actually all short, but it's like six hours. And I don't really want to sit there for six hours. I, I think that would be, I don't have any role in it. I don't have anything to do. So no, like the second one took like maybe five hours. It's just very long. I'm not sure what they're doing for that time, but it's just, it doesn't really sound particularly interesting. That aspect doesn't sound particularly interesting to me, honestly. It, it's, um, the concept of filmmaking and television making is uh, very complex from what you see in the working process and what you actually see on TV or in the movies or on the web series. It's uh, There's a lot of work involved. There's a lot of, we shoot uh, X amount of scenes within all the day scenes are shot at the same time. All the night scenes are shot at the same time. All the scenes in one area like in the bedroom are shot at the same time, all the scenes, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a complex little aspect. So you put a lot of hours in to get a little bit of, of what their end result is basically, but it's a lot of fun. It really yeah, is. I would love to hear your opinion on it. Uh, I'll, I'll sing the links, but I would love to, I'm always, you know, and again, I'm really big on workshopping. That's how I actually write uh, everything. So we're always really big to hear how people actually uh, feel about it and, you know, just any kind of, uh, you know, critique, criticism, opinion. I'm, I'm always happy to hear, actually. Yeah, please do. I'd appreciate it. Um, was that your first screenplay? You never Had you ever written one before? No, in my MFA program, we did, uh, I took a class for that lasted really most of the two years on playwriting because we had a director there whose name I unfortunately don't remember, but... He was into the New York uh, playwriting scene. And so um, I did like a year and a half. I studied with him. And so I did uh, playwriting with him at that time. But that was 11 years ago. So it, I had to refresh my memory. It had been quite a long time. Yeah, plus it's, yeah, I mean, the the aspects are this similar. It's just the scene settings are, are you know, obviously you, a little bit different. But... Um, I would be interested to um, to watch that and kind of see how it go. How long are each, how long are each episode? They're about six minutes long. So each episode is actually these really small miniseries, and each one is about six minutes long. 
we've been talking about trying to make them longer, but it's just, you know, it's, it's, because everyone here works. Like, it's not as if our job is to create film. And when these very long shoots for that limited amount of time, and then it's like, there's like gaps in between. Uh, for now, we're just doing six minutes. Uh, we have an entire season. So once the entire season is done, it should be about 60 minutes complete uh, altogether. But we only do one season, about six to seven minutes each episode. Each episode. Did you, um, the uh, character developments, was that something that you had control over? Right, yeah, I'm, I'm the one who writes, so I, I have control of the characters. Now, it, it changed because, again, uh, like, my concept of something, you know, honestly, my concept of the characters were all younger, uh, probably people who were in their 20s, something like that, but that just wasn't the actors that were available, so the actors are older so I had to change according to, to that. I had to rewrite some of the things in order to match the characters that we were able to, uh, that end up being cast for the thing. But yeah, I'm, I'm actually in charge of the character and the direction of the plot and things like that. That's basically my job. So you like writing the novella or the novel or screenplays better? Screenplays, they just go. Like for me, a novella takes six months to write. The novel that I'm doing right now for the fantasy, I started basically September 2019. And I finished it, but I'm revising it now, so it's been an entire year, uh, a year and a month that I'm still uh, revising this novel. But screen grades go a lot faster because I don't have to worry about the, the descriptions and things like that. Like, that take a long time. And, you know, uh, it's mostly for me, I'm trying to make sure the characters are correct, the plot's correct, and then the dialogue is, is you know, kind of something that's engaging. But I don't have to worry about the... The, the setup, the, the background, because this changes anyway. Like either that I have for the for where I want them to be and then what they can actually get for location is almost always different. So, yeah, it's, it's just a lot easier screenplay writing. I feel, for me at least, it's a lot easier. Yeah, definitely, definitely it's a lot easier. Um, the, uh, when I first went to university, when I first went to college, I was going to be a journalist. And uh, part of that, I took a, a novel writing class. And after I wrote my first little uh, sample piece for the instructor, he calls everybody in for their little critique. And he said, this is a crap novel. <laughs> went, Thanks. He said, but it'd make a great screenplay. <laughs> so okay. He said, you should consider doing screenplay. But I was already a cop, see, so I hadn't thought about it. So I waited and held on to that screenplay. And then once I got, uh, when I retired, I kind of started pursuing that end of it, and I really enjoyed it. I liked it. I liked it a lot better than trying to write a whole novel. I respect you for writing a whole novel, by the way. I respect you for writing your novellas because that process is uh, very unique and uh, creating those characters and keeping those storylines moving forward and and so forth. I, I respect that. As a screenwriter, I only had to do it for ninety minutes. See, <laughs> so right. it kind of kind of worked out. Kind of worked out really well. Um, tell me about your novel, speaking of that. The one that's coming up. That. Your novel, the one that you're writing. That, that oh, you're, uh, so the one that I started in September of 2019, and I'm still tweaking it now, is called Blood Stew. It's the third one in the Winshire Chronicles. Uh, it follows a young man uh, who has scoliosis, actually, the, the main character. So he, has, um, he was born with a disease, and he's... Uh, has all these uh, elements that 
like I said, it's about these young men who go on a quest, but he actually can go on a quest because uh, movement is, uh, any kind of movement is very difficult for him. And that's what the novel is basically covering. And again, the reason why I thought scoliosis is because when I first came here, the first person, one of the people in my job had scoliosis. And so it's kind of based upon that. And yeah, so that's basically the idea of that novel, how he manages to still uh, go on this quest and try to make his dreams come true despite these severe limitations. Because on quest, you have to travel and he can't travel, which is a pretty big limitation. That oh, sounds very interesting. You're editing it now. When do you expect it to be released? Uh, I'm thinking, like, the publisher said March of 2021. So it's actually already finished, but it's just, you know, I'm revising and editing. And then uh, probably around January, I'll start working with the publisher in order to get it into a more polished, clean form. And supposedly it should come out March 2021. That's the plan right now. Would you recommend that the people that uh, are going to look forward and buy that book should probably read the novellas first to get a better understanding of your characters? I recommend it only because it's uh, more book sales. But the way I write these are that you don't need to read the ones that before. Like I'm trying to write them separate on purpose because the first character, like uh, as I mentioned before, was like Hajun, which is a, a different person. This character is someone else. And so you don't really need to read them one after the other after the other in order to enjoy each individual book. Because book two is about a character called Wu Jin. But there are certain characters that kind of exist throughout each book, uh, Windshine in particular. But um, no, you don't really, you don't have to read the previous books. Even with the horror books, you don't have to read the previous books to understand the current book. Your novellas, are they self-published or are they published with somebody? So there are two small publishers. They call any publishers in America. One is Mocha Memoir Press, and that's located in either North Carolina or South Carolina. I always get confused. I think it's North Carolina. The other one is Nightmare Press, and he's located in, I believe, Tennessee. So they're the ones who actually produce the books. So, yeah, it's just through them. And in your novel, you'll be looking for another publisher, or are they going to go through them? Uh, right now, it's, it's supposed to go through Mocha Memoir Press. So uh, she's supposed to be the one who's doing the fancy novel in March. If somebody were going to get into this business, into writing, uh, either a novella or a novel, what would you recommend? Uh, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't recommend self-publishing, actually. I actually self-published when I was 22 years old. It was a collection of short story poems and novella. And... My experience from that is that it's probably just better to work with some type of indie publisher if you if that's what you can get, or maybe a bigger publisher if that's what you can get. But, you know, it's just a very... Doing things on your own is just extremely difficult. You don't really have any support. You're just, like, there by yourself. And the hard thing is promotion. The really difficult thing, like, writing a novel, you can sit down in your own home and write a novel. That's really no problem. Uh, but promoting yourself and trying to get her above basically everyone else who's doing the same thing. That's where the the complication comes in that and the really, really difficult part. And so I probably would not recommend self-publishing to anyone even that's a very popular thing. I would probably say if you're going to write a novel, just go ahead and try to uh, get it with some kind of indie publisher or bigger if you can and go that route. That's my recommendation. What's your, what is your standard, I mean, like, do you dedicate an hour every day to write or two hours every day to write? I know that you're employed full-time because of what you do, but 
Um, do you dedicate a specific amount of time every day to make sure that that you get through it? Forty minutes, about forty minutes. Uh, I write about four unique, uh, four one page. I write one single page every single day. It takes about forty minutes, thirty-five, forty minutes to do, and that's what I recommend. I recommend uh, five days a week, about thirty-five to forty minutes, one single page. Don't go beyond that one page, and that's it. Call it a day. And, again, and you can you can keep your your uh, your project moving forward by doing it that way. Right, because if you do one single page every day, five days a week, that's that should be more than two hundred pages in a year. Um, so yeah, if you do it consistently, it builds up over time. But the the key word here is consistency. So you have to do it consistently over time, and then if you do it that way, you have a lot done. You know, in a year, two years, three years, you have a lot done. What's the average book length? Average book length. Uh, generally, the publisher is looking between seventy thousand and one hundred twenty thousand words for a novel. Uh, depending mm-hmm. again if it's a genre novel or a literary novel. Literary novels can be a bit shorter, but genre novels they just sell better. The longer they are, the better they sell. That's just it's just been something that's that's true. Um, so seventy thousand to one hundred twenty thousand words for a genre novel is what the publishers tend to be looking for. And yeah, well, how does that translate into pages? I guess about 300 to 500 pages, 300 to 500 pages. So if you do five pages a week, you get a pretty good start. Uh, well, see, like my current one is about 60, 63,000 right now. So that's why I call it more of a dwarf novel, because this doesn't quite reach that 70,000, like 70,000, 100,000, 20,000. But see, that's kind of the thing, because I'm, I'm a much slower writer, uh, like if you're gonna do five pages a week trying to reach 200 pages, that's that's probably gonna take you a very long time. Like I don't really think there's a problem with that, but if you're someone who is in a rush, then that's gonna be a very long experience for you. But yeah, I mean, if you're shooting for that, you might wanna do a bit more. If you're shooting for 70,000, 120,000 words, maybe you wanna do a bit more than a, a single page a week, maybe a single page a day, maybe two pages a day. Well, I find that most people that, that I have talked to that um, are novelists or writers, their procrastination is a really uh, tough thing to overcome sometimes with, uh, especially writer's block. So I I think that your recommendation probably would help with that as well, because you're not forcing yourself into saying, I'm going to finish 10 pages today and then get stuck in the middle of it trying to get past page two because you got a writer's block or you can't move forward. Right. I actually, uh, when I was younger, 18, 19 years old, I did the National Book Foundation summer writing camps with uh, a bunch of uh, authors, established authors in New York. And one of the women, Jacqueline Wilson, uh, she was my teacher for several years, but she said that she doesn't really believe in rise block. And I I personally don't either, uh, because you always have narratives around you. It's very it's very hard to say that you can't find a story that's happening around you. Um, so you can always write about something. And generally, what Rise Block, what people who I've met talk about is that they've, they've done a couple of mistakes, which is that they have decided to choose an idea that is more of a scene. Like they're trying to write a, a story from a scene, and that just doesn't work. So don't do that. <laughs> and also, just choose things, just try to stick with things that are happening around you. There's, there's more than enough material around you. So you shouldn't, you really shouldn't get stuck. Uh, you shouldn't get stuck, that is. Do you outline a novel? I don't. I do not outline. Uh, I, I do a lot of revisions. And again, I do a lot. I believe in critiques. 
So I will normally in my process if I write a chapter, I write maybe two chapters, and I put it on a critiquing website group, and I'll have them look at it, and then I'll revise that novel, that that chapter, and then I'll do the second chapter, and then the third chapter. So I, I believe in just kind of slower writing, but also a lot of critiques. I'm a big proponent of hearing what people say about it because in the end, I'm trying to sell something. So I want to know what people actually think about what I'm writing. That's a really good idea, actually. Do you have any words of wisdom for anybody getting started? Uh, beyond what I've already said, just, you know, if you're writing anything, just think about the beginning. The beginning is extremely important. The first sentence, the first paragraph, first page, these are very, very important things. It helps you uh, direct your your story in a very good direction. You have a very solid uh, first sentence, first paragraph, first page. Um, and don't forget promotion. Promotion is really important. Uh, you can write the best novel in the world, but if you don't have a, a promotional scheme in mind, promotional plan in mind, then it doesn't really matter. No one's going to ever hear about it. So don't forget promotion is really extremely important. That's some outstanding words of advice. Where can we find your books? Uh, so the easiest place, like every different country have their own Amazon version. Uh, Amazon is the easiest international, but if you're in Japan, South Korea, Taiwan, you have your Amazon version. And so it's going to be available on your Amazon version in your particular country. Uh, that's actually the easiest place. The easiest place is Amazon. I mean, it's also bookstores and things like that, but really just the easiest place is online. Some type of online bookseller is the easiest place. Okay, and I'll have links um, that that at least some of the links on available onto my show notes so that people will okay, find their books from there. Um, I really appreciate the time that you took with me. Thank you very much. I know it took a little bit to connect, and I think I've enjoyed this conversation. I've learned a lot about you and um, a lot of a lot about novels, actually. All right. Thank you for having me on. Happy belated birthday. I know you had your birthday last week, so happy thank you birthday. very much. Okay. Again, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time with me. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.